Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to Castbox for helping me make the Castbox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. Castbox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favourite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I'm a search and rescue officer for the US Forest Service, and I have some stories to tell. Part 3, by Search and Rescue Woods. Hey guys, so I'm back from my training op, and I have a lot of really interesting stories to share with you actually. I've got enough that I'm going to break them up into two parts, this being the first. I'd love to put them all in one entry, but I just haven't had a chance to write them all down yet. I didn't have anything too crazy happen while I was out there too, but we did have one incident with a rookie that I found kind of relevant. Since I'm sure you guys have been waiting for these, I'll just get right into the stories. I'll assign each batch of stories to the person who told them to me too. So, I'll start with KD. KD is a vet who's been an SAR officer for about 15 years, I think. She specializes in high-elevation mountain rescues and is widely considered one of the best in the field. She was one of the more enthusiastic storytellers, and since we were together a fair amount during the exercises, she ended up telling me about four that really stuck with me. The first one that she told me was in response to my asking about her most traumatic calls. She shook her head and told me that really bad calls happen more frequently on the mountain since the potential for nasty accidents is way higher. So, about five years ago, one of the parks she worked at had a string of disappearances. It was a bad year, she said, one of the worst on record as far as weather went. 
They were getting about a, a foot of new snow every couple of days, and there were a few avalanches that actually killed some climbers too. They warned people about staying on the mapped areas, but of course, there's always those who don't listen. In one particular nasty case, an entire family got wiped out because the father decided that he knew better than the officials, and he took them up out into the area that wasn't safe. They were snowshoeing, and as best as KD could figure, they walked on a shelf of snow that looked solid, but actually wasn't. It gave way, and this family went mass over tea kettle, almost 300 feet down a slope. They uh, ended up on the rocks at the bottom, and the parents died instantly. One of the kids as well, but the other two miraculously survived. One had a broken leg and fractured ribs, and the other was almost unharmed, save for some bruising and a sprained ankle. The uninjured child left his sibling behind and set out to find help. KD said that the kid didn't make it more than half a mile before a storm overtook him too. Kid stopped and tried to get warm or maybe just to rest and ended up freezing to death. They ended up finding the family with the help of some witnesses who saw them heading out into the wilderness and she was the one to find the kid who'd frozen to death looking for help. She said that it had just started to snow, just enough to obscure long-distance vision, but not enough to make searching impossible, and she saw a figure just sitting in the snow up ahead, and she got to it as quickly as possible. She described in detail how, as soon as she got closer, she realized first that it was a child, and second that they were deceased, and third that they had frozen into one of the most pitiful positions that she'd ever found a corpse in. The kid was sitting upright with his knees tucked up against his chest. His arms were curled around them and his head was tucked up into his coat. When she moved the coat to look at his face, she saw that he died crying. His face was twisted and the tears were frozen on his cheeks. She said that it was painfully obvious that the kid was terrified when he'd succumbed to hypothermia and as a mother, it broke her heart. She told me repeatedly that she hopes the father is burning in hell as we speak. The other traumatic story she told me that stood out, in my mind at least, was one that happened when she was a rookie. Her team got a report of an experienced climber who hadn't come home the previous day. His wife was convinced that something bad had happened because he'd never failed to come home on time. They went out looking for him and had to climb what sounded like some very technical challenging parts of the mountain. They got to a relatively flat area and KD started seeing blood in the snow. She followed the trail and as she went, she started to see little bits of tissue, she said. She wasn't sure exactly what body part it came from, but the farther she followed it, the more there was. She follows the blood in the tissue trail to a sheltered area under a cliff face and she finds the climber. She said that there was so much blood more than she'd ever seen before in fact and he was lying face down one arm stretched in front of him as he died crawling she looks closer and sees that he's been partially disemboweled which is where the tissue she'd seen had come from the guy has a, an ice pick tucked up into a hip holster and it's covered in blood too of course and they'll never be exactly sure what happened, but she said the best that she could figure was that this is what went down. The guy had been attempting to climb up to the next area and had been using his ice axe to ascend, and he'd probably hit a loose patch and had fallen. And 
On the way down, or possibly when he landed, he got gotten impaled by the axe and it had disemboweled him. He dragged himself along, tearing pieces of himself out as he went and had died under the cliff face. She isn't terribly bothered by gore, but I guess a few of the guys who had come up to help her remove the body threw up when they turned him over and a good portion of his intestines spilled out. I also mentioned to her that I was interested in hearing about any experiences she had with people completely disappearing, and when I said that, her eyes lit up and she leant close to me. She said to me, want to hear a real doozy? And she tells me about how when she first started, there was this case that had got a lot of attention in the media. A family had been out berry picking in an area of the forest very close to the entrance of the park and they had two little boys, both under the age of five, and at some point during the day, one of them just vanishes. There's an absolutely massive search for them, but they find nothing. It's another one of those cases where it's like the kid was just never there in the first place. The dogs just sit down and don't pick up on anything. No trace of the kid is found too. The search goes on for about two months, but is eventually called off. Fast forward to six months later and the family comes back to place flowers at the memorial that's been set up for the kid. They bring their other son and while they're placing the flowers, they lose sight of the kid for about three seconds and in that span of time, he just vanishes into thin air. Now, obviously the parents are beyond devastated. It's awful enough to lose one child, but to lose two is beyond imagining. The search is huge, one of the largest in the state history in fact, and there are about 300 volunteers combing every inch of this park looking for this kid. But again, there's just no trace of him. The search goes on for about a week with people looking miles from the part of the park that he vanished from and then, almost two weeks later, a volunteer almost 15 miles from the designated search area radios in that he's found the kid. They assume that the kid was dead, but the volunteer says that he's not only alive, but he's in good shape. KD and her team go out to recover the kid, and when they get there, she can't believe that this is the kid that's been missing. And his clothes are clean, there's no dirt on him anywhere, and he doesn't appear to be traumatized. The volunteer says that he found the kid sitting on a log, playing with a little twig bundle that's bound together with some old rope. KD obviously asks him where he's been and who he was with for those two weeks and the kid tells her that he's been with the fuzzy man. Now, KD firmly believes in Bigfoot so she gets all excited and asks what he means by fuzzy. Was he hairy or what? But the kid says no, he wasn't hairy, he was a fuzzy man and he describes the man as uh, blurry. Like when you close your eyes but not all the way closed. He says the man came out of the trees and took the kid with him deep into the woods and the kid says that he slept in a hollow tree and the fuzzy man gave him berries to eat. KD asks if the man was mean and if he scared the kid and the kid says no, he wasn't scary at all. But then he said, I didn't like how he didn't have eyes. KD says that they get the kid back to the headquarters and a cop takes him into town to talk to him more about what happened. She's friends with the cop that talked to him and she said that the kid described being kept in this tree by a fuzzy man and given berries whenever he was hungry. 
He was allowed to wander around a very specific clearing, but when he tried to go further, the fuzzy man would get mad and yell really loud, even though he didn't have a mouth. When the kid got scared at night, the fuzzy man made it go brighter and gave him the twig bundle. He said that the fuzzy man was going to keep him, but he had to let him go because the kid wasn't the right kind, and he either can't or won't elaborate more on that. The cops are just sort of left scratching their heads, to be honest, and the search for his brother is renewed with no results. The kid has no idea where his brother might be, and to this day, they never found him. The last story that KD told me was of something that happened to her when she got separated from a training group when she was a rookie. They were learning the basics of high elevation belaying on a, a well-mapped side of the mountain, and she had to use the bathroom. She went off about 50 yards from the group during a meal break and did her business. Now, I'll tell the rest exactly as she told it to me. So, I go to take a piss and once I'm done, I start going back to the group. But I've only gotten about 5 feet when I realise that I have no idea where I am. And this wasn't a, oh, I turned around and got lost. I mean, I had literally no fucking clue where I was. If you'd asked me... I don't even think I'd been able to tell you what state we were in. It was sort of how I imagine people with amnesia feel, you know? You're completely lost and you have no idea what to do. So, I just stood there for a while, just trying to figure out what the fuck I was and what I was supposed to do. But the longer I stand there, the more confused and turned around I get, so I started walking. As I recall, I just picked a random direction and went for it, and as I'm walking, it's just getting worse and worse, to the point where I have no concept of why I'm on the mountain in the first place. I'm just trudging through the snow, and then I start hearing this voice. The strange thing was is that it's kind of inside my head almost. Like, if a frog could talk, all low and croaky, and it's telling me over and over that it's okay, it's okay, you just need to find something to eat. Find something to eat and you'll be okay. Just keep walking and find something to eat. Eat, eat. So, I start looking around for anything that I can eat and I swear to God that I've never felt that hungry in my whole life. It was bottomless and I think I'd have eaten just about anything you put in front of me right then. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's B-I-S-H dot B-U-S-T-A at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. I had no concept of time, so I had no idea how long I'd been out there when I hear an actual voice coming toward me. I go toward it and see one of the other SARs, and he looks terrified. He's running toward me, 
asking if I'm okay and what the hell I'm doing out here. And the scary thing was is that as he was running toward me, I kind of see myself reaching into my belt for my hunting knife. I'm not even really thinking about what I'm doing, but what I am thinking is that I have to eat. And if I don't eat, I'll never be okay again, so I just have to eat. He sees me doing that and he backs off right away. He yells at me to put my knife down and that he's not going to hurt me and that kind of snaps me back. All of a sudden, I know exactly where I am and I put the knife away. I run to him and ask him how long I've been gone for, thinking that he'll tell me that I've been gone for half an hour or so, but he tells me that I've been gone for two fucking days. I've gone over two peaks and ended up almost on the other side of the mountain, and if I'd kept going, I would have ended up wandering into about 300 miles of wilderness, and there's just no way that they'd ever would have found me out there. He can't believe that I'm not dead, of course, and I don't know what the hell to think. But to me, no time has passed at all, and I just don't say anything. I just go back to him to a rendezvous point and I'm taken back to HQ to be airlifted to the hospital. When I get there, they do all sorts of tests and try to figure out what happened. As best as they can guess, I had some kind of weird fugue state, which is kind of like amnesia, or a weird seizure that knocked my brain out of whack. But the truth is that we just really don't know. I mean... It's never happened again, but I'll tell you, ever since then, I never go out there alone. People rag on me for making them come with me when I have to leave the group, but I just tell them that listening to me piss in the snow is better than losing me for two fucking days on a freezing mountain. So, the next person I talked to was EW, a former trainer who now works as an EMT. He still comes to ops like this to help out, but doesn't work full-time for us anymore. He specialized in finding lost kids, and he just seemed to have a, a sixth sense when it came to knowing when they're gone. He's actually a legend among the more senior vets, but he gets embarrassed if you compliment him on his work. So, he sat down with me at dinner one evening, and we ended up swapping some stories. Most of them were just casual, but... Then we got onto the subject of our weirder calls, and I mentioned that I'd had a buddy who'd gone up a set of stairs. When I said that, he got kind of quiet and asked me if I'd heard of a little boy who disappeared from this park a few years back. I hadn't, so he told me this story. So, they were out looking for this 11-year-old boy, Joey, who'd gone missing near a river. Of course, the first thought was that he had fallen in and drowned, but when they brought dogs out, they led SAR officers away from the river and up into a very densely forested area. When we do searches for people, we search in like a, a grid pattern and we search every box of the grid incredibly thoroughly. What EW's team noticed right away was that there was this very strange pattern emerging. Dogs in alternating boxes were picking up Joey's scent, but losing it when they overlapped with another box. If you can think of a checkerboard, a Joey's scent was being picked up in a random black square, but never in a red. This, of course, didn't make any sense, because how could this kid just bounce from area to area without leaving a scent in each place he passed through? 
EW and his partner pass into a new box of the grid and EU notices a set of stairs about 50 yards away. He tells his partner that they need to go and check near it, but his partner just flat out refuses. He tells EW that he's made it a point to never go near any stairs that he sees, and that while it may be routine, he's not to pretend that it's normal. He tells EW that he'll wait in sight while EW checks. EW says that he was irritated, but he felt for the guy too and didn't push him on the subject. So, this is what he said. I walked over to the stairs and they were small, kind of like stairs into a basement. And I don't really feel strongly one way or the other about them. I mean, they're just stairs, so I wasn't scared or anything. I guess I'm like everyone else and I just pretend not to think about them too much. But anyway, I went over and I could see that there was something lying on the bottom step, sort of curled up. My heart sinks because, of course, you always hope for the best and we were confident that we'd find this kid alive because he'd only been missing for a few hours. But I knew right away that it was him and that he was definitely dead. He was curled up into a little ball on the step holding his stomach and it looked like he'd been in a horrible pain when he died, but I didn't see any blood except some on his lips and chin. I radioed in that I'd found him and that we needed to get his body back to command. And when we did, that poor family, they were just totally devastated. The parents couldn't understand how he'd be dead because he'd only been gone for such a short amount of time. And on top of that, we didn't have any obvious cause of death, which just made the whole thing worse. I figured he'd probably eaten something poisonous since he was holding his stomach when I found him, but I didn't want to guess. It's hard enough to hear that your kid is dead, let alone some stupid SAR guy guessing about what happened, right? So, they took him away and went home, and I tried not to think about it. And I just... I really hate finding dead kids, man. I love this job, but it's one of the reasons why I left in the end. I mean, I've got two daughters of my own, and the thought of losing them that way just... He choked up a little bit here, and I'm not great with emotional stuff like that, and it's always sort of awkward to see a grown man cry, so I didn't really know what to do. He pulled himself together eventually, though, and he kept going. Yeah, so... We don't always hear back from the coroners about the cause of death. It's not really our job to know, you know? I guess that sometimes if they think it's foul play, they won't tell us because of legal stuff. But I've got a friend who works for the sheriff's department and he'll usually pass along any interesting info if I ask. In this case, though, I actually got a call from him about a week later. He asks if I remember the kid and of course I do and he says some seriously weird shit is going on. He tells me, EU, you're going to think I'm crazy, but the coroner has no idea what happened to this kid. He's never seen anything like it. And my friend goes on to tell me that when the coroner opened the kid up, he couldn't even believe what he was seeing. The kid's organs were like Swiss cheese. The quarter-sized holes were punched clean through just about every single organ this kid had, aside from his heart and lungs. But... His colon, his stomach, his kidneys, and even one of his testicles, they were all full of these just clean holes. 
and my friend said the coroner described it as if someone had taken a hole punch and just punched holes out of everything, that they were that neat. But the kid just didn't have a scratch on him, no entry or exit wounds. The closest anyone there had ever seen anything like it was a guy who'd filled himself full of buckshot a year or so back while cleaning his rifle. No one had a clue what could possibly have caused it. My friend asked me if I'd ever heard of anything like it or if we'd seen similar cases in the past, but I'd never even heard of something like that, and I told him that I wasn't going to be any help to him. As far as I know, the coroner determined the cause of death as something like massive internal bleeding, but to this day, no one really knows what happened. I've never been able to forget about that kid too, and... I have nightmares about it sometimes. I don't let my kids go into the woods alone and when we go together, I never let them out of my sight these days. I used to love it out here but that case and a couple of others just sort of ruined it for me. At this point, dinner was over so we started to clean up and go back to our cabins. Before we went our separate ways though, he put his hand on my shoulder and looked at me really close. He tells me that there's bad things out there. The things that don't care if we have families or lives or that can think and feel. He tells me to be careful and then he walks away. I didn't chance to talk with him again, but that story has certainly stuck with me. So, by pure coincidence, I got to talk to another vet too. A PB who's been in the SAR field for years. We were partnered on a grid sweep during a training exercise actually and we were chatting casually about how we liked the job, what kinds of things we'd seen and the like. At one point, we passed an old set of stairs, though these were probably from an old fire lookout or something, given the area that we were in and all, but I sort of casually mentioned that I was curious about the stairs and that I just wished that I knew more about them. He got kind of quiet and... He looked like he wanted to tell me something, but wasn't sure if he should. Finally, he told me to turn my radio off. Obviously, this is something we are never, ever supposed to do, but I did it and he did the same. About seven years ago, he tells me, he was out on a call with a rookie. They were in an area of the park that's had a lot of strange reports and events disappearances, stories about lights in the forest, odd noises, things like that. The rookie was totally spooked, kept going on and on about things out in the woods. And according to PB, the guy wouldn't stop talking about the goat man, just on and on about goat man this and goat man that. PB went on to say, but finally, I told him that there was plenty else to be afraid of out here that was very real and that he'd better get over this thing with the goat man. The rookie wanted to know what kinds of things I was talking about and I just told him to shut up and walk. We crested a little ridge and there was a staircase about 10 yards ahead. The rookie stops dead in his tracks and just stands there looking at them. I tell him, see, that's something you should be afraid of. And the rookie asks me what the hell these are doing out here. And for some reason... I just open up and tell him the truth, or what I've been told is the truth. 
I, uh, I could have gotten in a lot of trouble for doing what I did, and I could get in a lot of trouble for repeating it to you too, but you're a nice kid and I want to stop looking into this. So, I'll tell you what I know, under the condition that you never breathe a word of this to the soups. I told him that I wouldn't say a word and he double checks that our radios are off. When I first started out, we were a little less tight-lipped about them and other things that happened out here. We warned people before they were even hired that there was weird shit going on out here. I guess the Forest Service was tired of having such a massive turnover rate and they wanted people to know what they were getting into. So they started having people sign these agreements that they wouldn't go to the media about what they were going to see. The FS didn't want to scare people away, so the last thing they needed were spooked rookies running off to the media with stories of ghosts and haunted stairs and whatnot. But eventually, they found out that the agreements weren't necessary. People not only didn't want to talk about what they saw, but they just wouldn't. A few times, media tried to talk to people when kids or hikers would disappear and no one would just say a word. I can't really explain it, and I guess we just don't really want to admit that anything is wrong. I mean, this is our job, to be out here in the woods every single day. We don't need to get spooked, and the best way to avoid it is to just pretend like everything's okay, right? So, I'll tell you everything I can think of, and after that, I'm done talking for good about it, okay? And I expect you not to bring it up around me ever again. So, the stairs have been out there as long as the parks have existed. We have records going back decades describing them too. Sometimes people go up them and nothing happens. Other times, well, look, I really don't like talking about this, but sometimes really bad shit happens up there. I mean... I saw one guy get his hand sliced clean off when he got to the top step. He reached out to touch a tree branch and it just happened so fast. One second his hand was there and the next it was just gone. A completely clean wound too. And we didn't find his hand and the guy almost died. Another time a woman touched one of the stairs and a blood vessel in her brain exploded. It literally exploded like a water balloon. She sort of stumbled down and came over to me and all she got out was, I think something is wrong with me. She dropped like a sack of flour, dead before she even hit the ground. And I'll never forget the way that the blood just leaked inside of her eye. Before she died, I just watched it turn red and I watched it happen and there wasn't a single thing that I could do to help. We warn people not to go anywhere near them, but there's always at least one idiot who does. And even if nothing happens to them, something bad always happens eventually. Kids go missing as we're on their trail, someone dies the next day, cut in half in a completely safe part of the park. I don't know why, but something bad always happens. I don't know exactly why they're out here, but it doesn't matter. They're here, and if we're smart, we tell our new officers exactly what they're capable of. We're both quiet for a little while after this. I was afraid to talk because I wasn't sure if he was done. 
he looked like he wanted to say something else and finally he spoke again hey have you ever noticed how you can't find the same ones twice i nodded expecting him to continue but he just stayed quiet walking alongside me and eventually he started a story about the biggest deer he'd ever seen in the park i didn't bring the subject up again and i didn't press him for any more stories he dropped out of the op the next day and apparently he just left before the sun came up he said he was sick strangely enough too none of us have heard from him since he left that day so i'm uh i'm going to stop here for the time being and i'll try to share the next part in the coming days but with what it being the end of summer and all things are pretty busy here thanks for the continued interest guys and you've really awakened this curiosity in me that i didn't even know i had g'day mates it's b buster here thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the be scared podcast and please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.